Random vet, Dr. David Gething. How are you? Good morning, Phil. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. We've got some things to talk about to do uh, today, David, but first up, I've got a message for you asking a question about kennel cough. Can you handle that? Okay, actually, that's a funny one. I've been seeing a few cases lately. So, yes, absolutely. Go ahead. All right, let me see. Now, uh, this is from Andy, who says, kennel cough cases are popping up around Hong Kong just now. Can we vaccinate dogs against it? Where does it come from? And what is the treatment? There you go. Okay, so kennel cough is... Kennel cough is kind of a catch-all word that means pretty much any kind of upper respiratory tract infection of a dog, meaning any kind of cold or flu or cough for a dog. Yep. So when a dog catches kennel cough, they tend to, you know, runny nose, maybe runny eyes, sneezing and coughing, like if you had a, a flu or a cold. Okay. Um, I guess specifically when people say kennel cough, the bad kind they may be talking about is Bordetella. Um, and Bordetella is a disease that we can vaccinate for, but there's also a whole ton of other sort of respiratory flus that you can get that aren't Bordetella. Like with you and I, you know, you can catch the common cold, and even if you had the flu jab, it's not going to stop you getting the common cold. Because it's different. Exactly, totally different. There is a Bordetella vaccine. We do it a bit. We don't do it that much because most dogs, most dogs probably don't need it, to be honest with you. Do you, um, do you just want to describe what kennel cough is? I mean, we've heard the two words, but I, I have no idea. So yeah, so look, uh, kennel cough is, it's either a viral disease or a bacterial disease, depending on the exact form you get. Uh, you catch it from other dogs, the dog sort of coughs and sneezes, like if you catch the cold, someone's coughing and sneezing, they sneeze on you. In the dog's case, you know, they're playing in the park or whatever, one dog sneezes and the other dog catches it. Um, not infectious to humans, not infectious to other animals, it's just a cold. Mm -hmm. It's The good news is it's hardly ever... In, in most cases, it's not very dangerous. Like, Still worrying. I guess, like, I mean, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't yeah. have got a message about it otherwise, would I? I suppose. And it's really annoying because your dog catches it, and for a week or two weeks, he's there coughing and hacking away. It sounds horrible for him. No one likes it. So it's not much fun, but it's not likely to be life or death. Okay, just just, just just to be clear, um, answer the vaccination question again, would you? Just to be clear. So there is a vaccine for kennel cough. Um, they find that it lasts for about six months or so, so it's not really the strongest immunity, but it does work. Okay. Most people who get the vaccine do it because they're either going to boarding kennels, going to dog shows, you know, tra traveling with their dog, in a situation where you may meet lots of other unknown dogs, and then right. it may be worthwhile doing. Is the type important um, here? Because usually when we get something that's either viral or bacterial, conjunctivitis, for instance, people usually say, well, bacterial is okay, viral is a bit nastier. Well, look, and this is, and the other thing that's really important is depends what treatment you give. You know, a dog who's got a viral flu, a, di a viral upper respiratory tract infection, yeah. there's no point in giving him antibiotics in most cases because it's just not going to help. Right. Um, so it is important to know which kind. You're right that bacterial forms can be a lot worse because they can go down into the chest and you end up with pneumonia, which oh. is much more serious. Okay. Um, when, I guess, uh, when your listener says kennel cough, they're probably referring to Bordetella, which is like the serious form. Uh, which is the one that we can vaccinate against. Right. And I guess what I'd say to you is if you're in a situation where, you know, five of the dogs in your building have kennel cough and everyone else is coughing, maybe worthwhile getting vaccinated. Gotcha. Um, I honestly think for the average dog, I'm not sure you have to worry about it. Um, partly because it's, you know, the Bordetella vaccine only covers one form of kennel cough and partly because it's not, a deadly disease in most cases. All right. Um, Andy, Andy, I hope that helps. Thanks very much for getting in touch.
Uh, David? Yeah, I should say, just to, just to confess on this one, I should say I, I do vaccinate my dog for everything else. I don't vaccinate him for kettle cough because he hardly ever sees other dogs. So that's, that's my take on it for my own dog. Fair enough. But I do, the, I do the vaccines for all the other stuff, like distemper, hep, parvo, leptospirosis, of course. Hey, how do you... you say, interesting, you said um, it might only last about six months. Do you do sort of an immune system test on them or something? Because they might just not be getting it for six months. Well, actually, this, uh, this initial one, this was actually research that came out of the World Veterinary Association recently, and they've re- released new findings on, you know, how often we should be vaccinating dogs for different things, yeah. and how long the immunity lasts. And they're finding the immunity to some vaccines, like, say, parvovirus, tends to last for years, mm. whereas the immunity to other stuff, like distemper and kettle cough, doesn't last that long. All right. Well, thanks um, a lot. Thanks so a based lot. on their test. We can do, actually, I should quickly say, we can do blood tests for vaccinations for some of them, mm. not for kennel cough, though. All right. All right. Well, that's pretty clear. I hope that helped. Um, I've been saying that you're going to carry on talking about things that are very common in the human world. And then you have to think twice. Oh, goodness me. The the cat gets it, too. or The dog gets it, too. Of course, uh, diabetes was something that you, you brought up. You never really think about that. And of course, I know you want to talk a little bit about feline dementia first. Can we talk about diabetes? Because I think you've been working on a poor guy with that. Yeah, I've actually had a, a friend's cat in here uh, recently who I went to see just for a regular checkup, and they said, look, you know, she's drinking a bit more, she's going to the toilet a bit more, is anything wrong with her? And sort of that a bit of a light bulb moment sets off, and we did a blood test, and it turns out that she was actually diabetic. Which kind? Um, what kind? So this is actually a really interesting question. Cats are nearly always uh, type 2 diabetes, which is the kind you get when you when your pancreas gets exhausted. In humans, you tend to be overweight and not eating a good diet. Right. Um, whereas dogs, on the other hand, are quite often type 1. Uh, meaning the type where you're sort of born that way and that's that's the, the reason it's not working. We are, however, seeing more type 2 diabetes in dogs as they tend to get fatter um, okay. in the modern age. So it's, it's actually changing. Like in humans, we're seeing more type 2 diabetes and in dogs, we're seeing more type 2 as well. Right. So obviously a deficiency of insulin and you, you can't properly process stuff. So uh, what kind of are there different levels of treatment? I, yeah, I, I understand true, so. totally it's really difficult for you to do a blanket here and now on the radio. So just if anybody's listening is interested in this one. Yeah, no, so, so look, diabetes is one of those things that there's really good treatments that want to fix it. If you don't treat a diabetic animal, it's not going to be okay. Uh, <clears throat> diabetes gets worse over time. As it gets worse, your body gets more and more confused and starts producing these things called ketones, which are really toxic in high levels, and you can get very, very sick and you can potentially, you know, can be the end of you. So signs of diabetes, your dog or cat is drinking more, going to the toilet more, maybe more hungry. Um, as it gets worse, they tend to get also more lethargic, more sleepy, more sick, maybe even vomiting and unwell. Okay. Um, and, you know, normally with cats who are drinking more, they are drinking buckets of water. It's not subtle. You're drinking buckets and buckets of water. And aggressively? And I mean, they're not just gently sipping, right? You will, you will, you'll see the bowl and you'll drink it dry. And then your owner fills it up and you'll go back and you'll drink the next bowl dry as well. Um, so you're, you're really, really thirsty. All right, then. Um, well, thanks very much on that one. I mean, is the success rate of treating animals, I don't know anything about humans, um, reasonably good? Actually, yeah. It's, it's, so, so normally, normally, in most cats, we have to start off with some insulin. We give the insulin injection either once or twice a day, depending on the cat. Um, quite often, we can get them off insulin after a few months of treatment. But there's actually this really cool thing that we're using now where you get this uh, this sort of plastic disc that attaches to the, the, 
behind the cat's back on the shoulders. Yeah. And it constantly measures the insulin. Uh, sorry, it constantly measures the glucose Brilliant. and actually uploads it to the internet. And then we can look at, you know, the owner can take the cat home and can have this monitor on there. Yeah. And for two weeks, it'll tell us the exact glucose concentrations online. It's all very high tech these days. Well, anybody listening now who's got an animal with diabetes, they're going to know exactly what to do. They're going to be sort of well, well uh, schooled and experienced in this one. But so to be clear again on this one, you're saying telltale sign is aggressive drinking. Absolutely. And it really easy test to find out. It's a blood sugar test. It costs you next to nothing. If you suspect it, get it, get it checked. All right, then. Let's go on to the other topic you wanted to speak about. Whilst I say, once again, if you've got any questions for David, we're not doing Facebook Live this morning. So, Morning Brew at rthk.hk. Ask away anything. And if you do have a cat or a dog with diabetes, love to hear from you. Any experiences? David, take it where you will. Yeah, so the other one that I thought we should talk about that I've seen one of this week is a cat with dementia. Um, and... I mean, to be very exact, it's actually not quite the same as Alzheimer's. It's more, it's called old age discognitive syndrome, but essentially it looks exactly the same. And we're seeing more and more of this, you know, and this is because cats are now living till 15, 17, 19 years old. Do they get early onset at all ever? <sighs> I hate to make a joke about it, but you think my cat seemed like he had early onset dementia when he was two years old. He was always off doing his own thing and <laughs> couldn't figure out what he was doing. Um, Yes, it can occur at different ages, but the earliest I tend to see it is about 13, 14 years oh, old. Okay, okay. Um, anyway, carry on, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and this, is, this is a funny one, because it, it's, it's one of these things that as cats get older, people don't realise it's actually happening to them. Then you'll get someone saying, you know, my cat's up all night, he's not sleeping very well, he's constantly walking around meowing in the middle of the night looking for somebody. Um, and those are actually really common early signs of dementia um, in cats. Mm. And I guess... What's happening here is, you know, the cat wakes up in the middle of the night, he's not quite sure what's going on, he feels anxious and nervous and, and you know, uncomfortable, so he starts, it's this really kind of pitiful meow they do, looking for company, looking for someone to come and console them. Mm. Owner comes out, pats the cat, tells the cat everything's okay, cat goes back to sleep and everyone's happy. And then he does it again. Um, <laughs> exactly, and then he wakes up half an hour again and does it again. As things get worse, quite often the cat will sort of start wandering fairly aimlessly around the house. Um, Don't they do that gets anyway, warm. again? <laughs> it's this real kind of... It's, it's hard to separate the two, of... isn't it? I mean, perhaps you you're go. having um, much more pronounced things that they normally do, maybe. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing they'll do is they'll, they'll get them sort of, sort of stuck under the couch or stuck in a corner, or they'll sort of be in a room they never spend time in before. When we have cats who go wandering outside, they sometimes sort of wander off and don't come back for days because mm -hmm. they get sort of lost and know what's going on. And this is a really difficult one because this is like in humans, there's actually not a lot of cures for this kind of stuff. For it's sure. more a management problem. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so look, this is, this is one of these ones that if you think it's happening to a cat, the best thing you can do is not change too much in the house. Is it something um, that nature just brings on, basically, or have you, have you sort of narrowed it down? Has anybody narrowed it down to something more scientific? Yes, look, it's absolutely aging of the nerves, you know, and, and uh, your hair goes grey and your skin goes wrinkly and your brain also starts degenerating as you get older. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and unfortunately, you know, as I say, well, in the best way, cats are living much longer than they used to, so we're seeing these conditions we never used to see before. Mm. Um, um, the earliest signs, I see it's really difficult not to sound alarmist, people, people listening with cats and dogs and pets and things, and, you know, we're here to talk about what you do, but I'm just really cautious that I don't want people to say, oh my goodness, you know, the cat's looking in a funny direction, he must be sick. Well, of course not. 
So I would say common things to look for, um, altered sleep patterns. So he wakes up in the middle of the night for no apparent reason and, and cries out. Uh, he doesn't know when his meal times are. He doesn't know who, he doesn't sort of seem to recognize you when you walk into the house, walking aimlessly around the house. Those, uh, those are common signs. All right, then. So in, in general, I believe that cats are creatures of habit. They tend to like to do certain things at certain times. But I've also discovered that, say, after a period of a couple of months, the whole habit pattern will change. So it must be quite, I mean, maybe I'm talking rubbish, but it just seems to me. No, look, I think, I think you're right. I think this is very, very true. They have, so they have you, a thing you... this month. Oh, and another thing the next month. But if you see the behaviour completely change, that's not normal. No, and that's sure. something you probably should be, should be doing something about. I also don't want to worry listeners that there's nothing you can do. Because, I mean, I say, like in humans, there's no cure, but there's certainly a lot you can do to help. Sure. And there's, there's this stuff you can use called Fellaway that makes cats feel more calm and happy. Mm. Uh, you can give them, you know, make sure they can get into a safe, comfortable place so they can sort of, you know, their own little zone where they can feel protected. Mm. Um, have a bed in the same place every day for them. Things that are very routine, routine and rhythm that they can sort of manage. You know, you say there's no cure. I mean, I think it's massive fingers crossed that one day or very soon there will be one. I think it's got to be on the top five, easily in the top five medical to-do lists, really. Do you know much about research in the animal world? And is it still okay to call it dementia? I, I thought that, that you couldn't anymore or you weren't supposed to because it was a bit Victorian. Look, I think... I think it, it, I mean, as far as the research goes, I think after COVID is probably the number one thing people are researching worldwide because, unfortunately, in humans, the numbers are going up. Um, yeah. Which, which makes it difficult. There's huge amounts of money being spent on it in, in human medicine. And, and my understanding of it is that part of the problem is that once we know the dementia's happened, it's very hard to turn back the clock. So it's the and, other you know, you end. Can't. You need to head it off at the pass. And this is exactly it. And so, so a lot of the human medicine is focusing on early diagnosis these days rather than treating late-stage cases. Um, and, and absolutely, animals are a good model for some of that. Do we find that animals get difficult? Humans can get very difficult. If they have a certain personality trait when they're younger, it exacerbates when they suffer from this and they get snappy or moody or whatever. And you certainly, I mean, you can see this and you can see animals with behaviour changes, absolutely. Um... Normally, it doesn't turn towards aggression, from what I see. Normally, it turns more just into being confused and... and, and a bit That's what I mean. I don't mean. I don't mean aggression. I just mean a bit difficult, shall we say. Yeah, and, and, and just also, they, it's very hard to convince them to do something. They become quite aimless. They won't go to the food bowl. Just, you, know, you see some cats that, that, unfortunately, essentially starve themselves to death because they, right. they don't sort of eat much anymore. Um, and this is, this is incredibly difficult for owners. It's also quite heartbreaking for owners to see yeah. um there's certainly ways that we can help with it but but as i say it's it's difficult to cure all right i've got another question for you john good morning says raw food diet for dogs new fad what does david think better than kibble question mark and to qualify he says raw as in raw bones chicken feet to chew etc uh raw meat vegetables goodness me whatever i say here i'm gonna get someone upset so i better i better be mark my words I think raw diets can be done extremely well. And there's a Sorry. very active group on Facebook called the Raw Feeders who, who um, are extremely good at, at, at doing a balanced, healthy raw diet. I also think that kibble can be done very well as long as it's balanced and a good brand and well-made. Um, I, I guess what I would say about the raw food diet is just make sure, and it, it sounds like the listeners are not doing this, but make sure they're not just giving, say, 
meat and nothing else. You need is to this get a, a balance. Well, as, as he says, a thing, new fad, says Andy. But is it a, a new thing? It sounds pretty straightforward, really. I, I don't know. I'd say it's a new thing. I mean, I guess I guess part of me would say animals have been eating raw food for millennia. Um, <laughs> but as far as as far as raw food inside, you know, at home, people I've known have been doing it for sort of 10, 15 years. Um, but I think it's becoming more popular as time goes on. This is dogs, right? Yeah. Because they're a little bit less discerning. I think I might have lost him. I'll give him a second and see if he comes back there. No. I think we're going to leave it there anyway. Thanks very much. Yeah, I lost my connection there. So thanks very much, David. Uh, and thank you very much to Andy for your final question there. I think you get the point of what he was trying to say. Dr. David Gething back with me at the same time.